0: When I was a kid, um, and seriously, I, I, I was talking about this in the earlier hour, uh, not just because we have uh, someone from Middlesbrough, Kentucky here, but uh, when I was a kid growing up in Williamsburg, Kentucky, uh, I uh, was, uh, uh, I, I loved playing sports, especially on the playground. Now I love playing sports, uh, uh, you know, peewee. Uh, football and uh and and baseball and t-ball and uh whatever I could play I and basketball just enjoyed it there in Kentucky but we moved from Williamsburg Kentucky to Dallas Texas when I was in the fourth grade and that was a shocking moment for me it was it was a it was a shocking thing because Williamsburg had population about 4,000 and uh, uh the school that I went to was about half that so uh uh, the elementary school. it was It was a shocking move for me. Uh, and, and also, people didn't dress the way I dressed, and, and people didn't talk the way I talked. Uh, I had a twang, uh, not that I have one now, but I had a twang uh, back then that was significantly more pronounced and less Texas uh, than uh, others it, around me. So I, here I am, I'm going to this new school in the fourth grade. And no one knows me. I didn't know anybody. Uh, big school, big classrooms. It's Texas. Everything's big. Uh, the girls had big hair, and the guys wore big bell-bottom jeans. It was great. And, and so here I, I am and, and uh, sit all by myself, and, and I knew that if I could just get to recess, I'd be okay. And, it, and here's why. Because when I got to recess, I could prove myself. Now, this is a fourth grade thinking, right? Uh, but but if, I could, if I could get to recess, then I could go. I wouldn't be playing on monkey bars, and I wouldn't be playing in the sand with fire ants. I would, I would go to where the athletics were. And there's always, in every playground, there's always a place where people are playing sports. And, and those sports might be kickball or dodgeball or uh, even tag can be a sport depending on how you play it. And, and so we were, uh, I found where they were playing the sport and I went over there and it was dodgeball. And there was this big brick wall and everybody got up and there, the two cool kids were the captains. Again, it's fourth grade, uh, still that way in 12th grade, but it, still the cool kids were the captains and, and they began to pick. And everybody lined up against the brick wall and, and they picked who would be on which team. And so they picked, and they picked, and they picked, and they picked. And I was I was becoming more and more discouraged because I wasn't being chosen. Now, again, part of that, they didn't know who I was, but couldn't they tell that I had skills? Didn't I carry myself with a, a sense of athleticism? You know, couldn't they tell by the way I was standing up against the wall that I was an athlete? Uh, but anyway, they, they still didn't pick me, and they still didn't pick me. And uh, the last girl was picked, and then it's just me up against the wall. And thankfully, well, he really didn't have a choice. He said, we'll take him. And so there I was finally on a team, picked and chosen, even though I was the last resort, picked and chosen for that team. And uh, I'd like to say that I proved myself uh, I don't know if I did, but I felt better and people started asking me my name and that kind of thing. It was an inroad because I was part of a team and the people on my team, they appreciated how I played the game. And We know that, at, and I talk about uh, playground sports right now because that's almost all we've got to watch and uh, is playground sports, right? So uh, we, if some of y'all want to go out and play dodgeball, well let's go, right? Uh, but but we we look at uh, the teams that we've been part of, and all of us have been part of some team. It may not be an athletic team, it may be a debate team, it may be the band it, it, it could be uh, a cheerleading squad, it could be a cooking class. I don't know if that's a team, but you could uh, you know, chopped is a single elimination, but you know you could develop a team concept there uh, but all of us have been part of where. Uh, of a group of people where others were depending upon us to carry our weight and to lead to something, victory, hopefully, um, or at least a good showing. As we come to the end of Colossians, and we've now spent all our time over the last several weeks, started in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, and we've gone all the way to chapter 4. And today we're going to look at verses 7 through 18. The very last verse is verse 18. Verse 18. And as we look at this last passage, we're seeing how, how Paul brings his discussion together. And as he closes out his discussion, he points us to how God has put his team together. And he talks about the team for his generation for, for his location, this team that, that was established in Colossae and, and really the Lycus Valley region, really Asia Minor, and, and, and really the, 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 the Roman Empire. God had established a team and put them together, and he was using them to change the world. And Paul describes this team in the passage we're going to look at today. Look in Colossians chapter 4, beginning verse 7. I'm going to describe some things as we walk through this passage, uh, so you want to make sure and, and, and look at the passage, whether it's on your digital device or uh, in paper and, and, and book form. Uh, but go ahead and look, because I want to call your attention to a couple of things. Now, Paul begins to describe the team that God had put together for his generation in this particular location. The first member of the team he describes is Tychicus. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, I just want us to uh, stop right there. He, he, He describes Tychicus with three specific phrases, and he'll use some of these phrases describing other members of the team. He says he's a beloved brother. That's not that Tychicus and Paul were related by blood. It's that they were now family because both of them had experienced the grace of God that rescued them from sin's guilt and the cell of their shame and brought them into God's family by God's grace because Jesus died for their sin upon a cross because Jesus was raised from the dead for their sin because they placed Their trust in Jesus as their only hope for rescue. God brought them into his family. And now Paul and Tychicus and Eric and you and I, if you have experienced that soul-shaping grace, uh, we are brothers and sisters. We're fellow beloved brothers. A faithful minister, the term there for minister is diakonos. That's the Greek term. And, and that doesn't mean minister like a, a preacher type. It doesn't mean deacon like we find in Acts chapter 6, although that's the word for deacon. Uh, when we see it here, it's talking about someone who is diakonos, a servant. Uh, that, that, it literally means to serve. It doesn't mean to hold a position of prominence or status. It means to serve. So he, he says it, that Tychicus was a brother and he was a servant, and then he adds another fellow servant. That term is syndulos or doulos. It's different than diakonos. It means not just one who has an assignment to serve, but this is one who is a slave to serve. This one who is, who is owned by someone else for whatever reason, a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. So, again, if you don't know, Paul is actually in prison. He's either imprisoned in the city of Ephesus or he's imprisoned in Rome. I believe he's probably in Rome. Uh, but he's been put in prison because he's been talking to people about Jesus. He's been sharing the gospel. And not only has he been talking to people about Jesus and sharing the gospel, but his talk about Jesus and his team's talk about Jesus has literally changed the Roman Empire. Already literally transformed Rome. Okay, So uh, he says, uh, uh, Tychicus is going to come and he's going to tell you everything that's happening with me. Verse 8, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and he might comfort your hearts. The term comfort there is a term that means uh, encourage. It's perikaleo. It it means he's, he's going to come alongside you. He's going to encourage you. Uh, he's going to give strength to your heart. He's going he's to add, um, uh, he, add courage to your soul. He's going to encourage you. It goes on, verse 8. Tychicus is going to come, and verse 9, um, he's going to come with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Now, Onesimus, there's a whole letter. I'm sorry, I know this is kind of distracting for me to stop in the middle of this, but I just want, to, I want us to get the picture here. So Onesimus is another member of this team that God had put together that changes the world. It's Tychicus and it's Onesimus. Now let me tell you about Onesimus. Onesimus is made famous or more famous in the letter of Philemon. And you'll see that a few pages over. Philemon was a member of the church at Colossae, and he owned a guy, he owned a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from Philemon, and he ran off to a distant land. But somewhere in his runaway journey, he encountered Paul. Paul shared the gospel with uh, Onesimus. Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. And the whole letter of Philemon is where Paul is saying, uh, to Philemon, you need to, you, you need to send Onesimus back to me. I'm sending Onesimus to you. You need to send him back to me as a free man so that he and I can serve together. He's part of our team. And God's put our team together to change the world. We, we, Philemon, we need, we need Onesimus. Okay, so that's the letter of Philemon. So that's who Onesimus is. Interesting that, that Paul doesn't call Onesimus a doulos or a diakonos. Uh, he, he wasn't going to stoop to that. In Paul's mind and in his eyes, Onesimus was a beloved brother. He, he was family. He wasn't a servant or a slave. He was a family member. He said, so Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, and they'll make known to you all things that are happening here. So you have Tychicus and Onesimus. Verse 10 is a third member of the team. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. So you've got Doulos, you've got Diakonos. Now you've got prisoner, a fellow which is Desmos. Uh, 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 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So, along with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So Mark uh, is another member of the team. So Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, John Mark. Now John Mark wrote a book of the Bible. You know which book he wrote? The Gospel of Mark, right? Okay. All right. And so y'all had that. So he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And you know the story of, of John Mark. John Mark was one of Paul's uh, teammates on missionary journeys. When Paul and Barnabas were going on a missionary journey, John Mark went with them. But John got homesick. And so he left the team and he went back to Jerusalem where his family lived. And, and uh, Paul was very perturbed by that uh, because he thought John Mark should persevere on Well, Paul and Barnabas completed that missionary journey, and they came back home, and then they got ready for another missionary journey, and Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, who had gotten homesick and left for home on the first missionary journey, and Paul said, no, John Mark can't come, And, and so it led to a division between Barnabas and Paul so that Barnabas and John Mark went on their missionary journey, and Paul took Silas on a different missionary journey. So in this passage here, Paul is saying, okay, y'all know who John Mark is. He's Barnabas's cousin, um, but we're friends again. And John Mark is one of the team members that I count on. Uh, in fact, in Titus it says, uh, or 2 Timothy, Paul, Paul described uh, John Mark in, in brotherly terms. He said that John Mark gave him great comfort, as he says here. So he said, He said, uh, uh, you've got Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus with uh, John Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, verse 11. And Jesus, who is also called Justice. So you've got Tychicus, Onesimus, uh, Aristarchus, uh, John Mark, Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now the term comfort there in verse eleven is different than the comfort uh, word for comfort in verse eight uh, the term for comfort in verse eleven uh, means uh, someone who uh, if you're at a funeral you'll have people who come along and they and they just kind of sit with you they 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 give you that that uh, comfort by presence uh, they're they're one they're those people they might not say a lot they don't know really the right things to say if you're If you're there grieving over the loss of a loved one, but they are are with you. And just them sitting near you gives you a sense of comfort. And that's the word that Paul uses here uh, in terms of uh, John Mark and Justice uh, and, uh, and and Onesimus. They were a comfort to him. Verse 12 describes another member of the team, Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, Epaphras was probably the, the pastor of the church at Colossae. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant, there's another term, bondservant, a bondservant of Christ greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, that term, laboring fervently, it's a term, that, the verb that, from which we get agony. And it's an athletic term, and it, it's used uh, in athletic competitions in the Greek language, most likely in wrestling, where you have two combatants going at it, and they ex- exert themselves and they 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 expend their energy and they pour they leave it all on the mat. Right? Uh, that's the term for agony. So he's saying that that uh, uh, that Epaphras is laying himself out in prayer for you. Okay. So he's a team member, he's praying, he says, he's laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in, the, in, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Heropolis. So you have Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, uh, John Mark, Justus, Epaphras. Now verse 14, Luke the beloved physician, there's a book of the Bible named after him. What's it called? In the Gospel of Luke. And he wrote another book of the Bible. What's it called? Book of Acts. I think he probably wrote a third book of the Bible. Do you all know which one that one is? Hebrews. I think he kind of wrote Hebrews. That's just me. Yeah. Put that one in your pipe and smoke it. Not in here. Okay. So Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, that's another member of the team, the, uh Demas greets you. Um, verse 15, he says to the church at Colossae, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nympha, and the church that is in her house. Uh, it's just interesting. I find it interesting. We live in this day of of social isolation and mass and six feet distance. And and we, we complain and we gripe because, and by the way, this is the largest gathering we've had. Uh, they tell me, I got a, a text message. This is the largest gathering we've had since we've done in-person gathering. Um, so, woo! awesome. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, that's great. But but during this time, uh, uh, we've tried to push people to gather in their homes and and that kind of thing. Uh could it be that, and you know in the first century, uh, that churches did not meet in buildings like this. Churches met in homes. Did you realize that? Uh, they didn't build the the, monast- the, 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 the great uh, uh, cathedrals. Uh, in fact, it's not until the third century A.D. that we find that there is a building in which the church met in. Uh, they met in homes. And maybe, just maybe, during this time of pandemic, maybe God is just trying to push us a little bit back to the first century, uh, be unsettled in the things that we have held so important become more settled in the things that He deems are most important. And, well, it goes on, so, so greet the church there in Nympha's house. Uh, Verse 16, now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And by the way, I think that epistle from Laodicea is the letter to the church at Ephesus. I think that's the Ephesian letter, Galatians, Ephesians, that one, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. I think that's the epistle from Laodicea. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, another member of the team, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. Now, I want us to look at all that because uh, Paul is describing the team that God had est- uh, established, uh, the team that was at Colossae, the, the church there in Colossae, the church in Nympha's house, the, the church in Laodicea, the, 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 the team that God had established in order to change the world and and as he describes it he 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 points us here and now to a simple truth that god in every generation puts together a team called his church in order to change the world. God has put this church, he calls us together, he chooses us to be part of the same team, he puts this team together literally to change the world. That's what God has done. So as we look at this passage, I want us to see how that God has put us together to change the world and and how you and I can play our part on this team to change the world. As we look at, at this passage, we, we see that, that the team that God has given us, called First Norfolk, um, is a team that is uh, essential for his plan. Now, make no mistake, for 200-plus years, this church, God has put this church together. But, but this church was established by God, not for you primarily, nor for me primarily, but for him Primarily, this church was put together for God's glory as his team in order to change the world with his good news. By the way, you know that the mission of the church, the reason we exist is not to uh, make you happy nor to make me happy, but rather we exist for those who are not yet with us. This church was established to be a shining light on the hill in order to take the good news of God's rescuing love to, to the people in the seven cities of Hampton Roads who are far from God. There are people that you know that are around us every day that are distanced from God, living in deep despair, hopeless because of their sin, and they have they have searched for a way to find satisfaction in their soul, but that empty spot inside them will not dissipate. It will not disappear, no matter what they try. Because the problem that they have is that they are separated from God. And there's only one solution for people who are far from God, and that is the bridge that Jesus has built through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus died for you, for you the sinner, for you and the penalty of your sin, and he died in your place to take the judgment that your sin and the guilt of your sin demanded upon himself. And Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised again so that you and I might experience forgiveness of sin and a new life, a new beginning, a fresh start. Not just any kind of fresh start, but a fresh start in God's family. Jesus has built a bridge between those of us who are sinners, that's all of us, uh, being far from God. He's built a bridge so that we might now be part of God's family. This is the message that we, the church, are here to proclaim. Not just talk about, but actually to live out. Not just talk about in this room, but talk about out there among those who are still far from God. You and I are God's team to change the world. And how do we change the world? By helping those who are far from God find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, this church, if we fail in this one thing, we fail in everything. It doesn't matter how big, how big our buildings are, it doesn't matter how much our membership is, it doesn't matter how much of our budget we have. If we fail in helping those in the seven cities of Hampton Roads find life through faith in Jesus Christ, we have failed. In everything, it doesn't matter how much you learn in your Bible study. If that learning in your Bible study class, your life group class, doesn't lead you and me to be witnesses for the King of glory and share the good news of his rescuing love with those who are far from him, we have failed. You get it? Now, you might not believe it, but that's the message of the Bible. Do you know what Jesus gave us to do? He said, Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 28, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You don't make disciples until you let people who are far from God find the bridge that leads them into the family of God. You and I, and by the way, that's you, and I it's not just me it's not just those who are staffing it's you and me it's the church this is the team that God has brought together to change the world you and I are called to help every person we know who is far from God find life through faith in Jesus Christ that is our calling And that's what Paul wants to bring together in this point. So uh, in the next few minutes, I'm just going to lay out four specific things that you and I can do that we see in this passage. There are four ways that you and I can participate in the team that God has put together called First Norfolk. Four things. The first thing is you got to know who you are. you got to know who you are. I wonder how many of us know who we are. Uh, Throughout this last section, and really, uh, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul has described who we are because of Jesus Christ. Uh, as, as Paul describes these, these uh, team members, he says uh, regularly, they are brothers, beloved brothers and sisters. He, he, that's a language of Family. You're no longer far from God. You're no longer uh, uh, an orphan. You're no longer a stranger, uh, your family. Because of Jesus Christ, we who once were far from God have been brought near. We once distanced from God, separated from Him, we are now part of His family. We have a seat at His table. Not because of, of being a Baptist or even uh, putting our name on a dotted line here at the church. The reason, The reason we are part of God's family is because God has chosen us to be part of His team, and He's provided a way for us to be forgiven our sin and find new life through faith in Christ. You're not part of God's family because You chose it. You're part of God's family because God chose you. It's a beautiful picture. It's me standing up against the red brick wall, and God looking at me and says, I want him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, make no mistake. That's God looking at you and saying, hey, I want you. God's chosen us to be part of his family. You see, we're no longer strangers to God. You and I are sons and daughters with all the rights and privileges that God gives his family. We are sons and daughters. Know who you are. We're sons and daughters of God. Know who you are. You're a servant. That's who you are. Now, you've heard the adage, there is no I in team. And you see this happen. If you were ever watch football again, uh, you would see that you see this happen in locker rooms around uh, college sports and and professional uh, college football, professional football. You see that there's one player on the team who thinks that the team exists for him, and he's called the toxic player. I'm I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Woo! just thought I'd throw it out there. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and we have had plenty of toxic players over the years. Terrell Owens being one of them. Terrell Owens was a a player, had great ability, but he believed that the world of football stopped and started with him. He had never learned there is no I in team. In the church, we're the same way. Paul describes team members in specifics. You're a diakonos, you're a doulos, you're a desmos. You're a servant, you're a slave, you're a prisoner. All to Jesus. You know, you and I, sometimes we get confused. We begin to think that somehow the church exists. For me, that I should have a seat, a privilege or position in this church. Friends, We'll get back. I preached the book of James uh, several years ago. We'll do it again before I die. Um, but, you know, the book of James specifically says that if we in the church show partiality to anyone in the church, we have sinned against God. No, no, there is no king in the church except for one. His name is Jesus and that's not you or me. Now, we would agree with that. Theologically, it's when we want to sit in our seat, or we want to park in our spot, or we want uh, the, the, the world to change for my preference or my desire. We, we think that the church exists for me. And, and I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had people, I'm leaving this church. Why are you leaving the church? i rarely ask that question, but if I were to ask that question, they usually offer it. I'm leaving this church because you didn't do this for me. You didn't do that for me. You didn't uh, adjust this for me. You didn't adjust that for me. It doesn't have anything to do with doctrine. It doesn't have anything to do with teaching. It doesn't have anything to do with mission. In fact, it probably does. They think that our mission should be him or her, when in reality, our mission, our mission is his mission Toward those who are not even here. Now we know that to be true, but sometimes we forget that we're sons and daughters, but we're also servants. And as servants, we choose to strip ourselves of our privilege and embrace wholeheartedly the well being of others above our own. Know who you are. We're sons and daughters, and we're servants. The second thing that we learn from this team that God has put together, not only for Paul's generation, but for our generation, uh, we can be a part of this team that changes the world when we encourage one another. In two different places, Paul talked about how uh, he wanted uh, the church at Colossae to be encouraged, and he wanted his team to be encouraged. He said said that Tychicus is coming to you and he's going to comfort your hearts. Can I tell you that encouragement is a powerful tool that helps motivate and move us forward to accomplish God's mission? Do you want to know what you can do as part of this team? And by the way, you're part of the team. Not only can you know who you are, but encourage one another. Encourage. To encourage means that you pour strength into the heart of another oh what a difference it would make if you and I would spend our energies not complaining to each other but rather encouraging one another to encourage one another to say hey listen God's given us a mission let's press on hey listen you're doing a great job I saw how you were talking to that person uh, last week. I, I, I read on Facebook how that you uh, were uh, sharing the gospel with your neighbor. I, I, I got that email that you sent our life group that, that, uh, uh, that, that your family member uh, is in need of, of help and, and how that you're helping. I see you. You're doing a great job. When was the last time you encouraged instead of complained? We're called to encourage one another. This is the only place where we're supposed to encourage one another. But we are to give emotional and spiritual strengthening to one another. I mean, what what a difference it would make if you would just start making a list of people that you're going to write a note of encouragement to. Look, I get my encouragement every week. And I mean that. I really do. There are a group of uh, children who always bring me gifts on Sunday morning. Can I tell you, that encourages my heart. That's the encouragement I need. Why don't you focus your encouragement on other people? If you're online, take this time and look at the list of people that are watching right now. Just make that list and be an encouragement to them. Just take time. Encourage one another. You're doing a great job. Encourage also means, though, correcting. You know, there is a correction that needs to take place, and encouragement Includes correction. Some of us have majored on correction and we forget about giving courage to someone's heart. But I need motivation. And somebody asked me, Pastor, did you share the gospel with anybody this week? That's encouragement. That's not a rebuke, that's encouragement. You ask your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, the person in the room with you online, have you shared the gospel this week? Remember last week we said, God, I'm going to pray every day for you to give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Did you pray that prayer every day? You see, that's not a rebuke. That's just encouragement. We need to encourage one another. Encourage one another in the right thing. See, we encourage one another to do a lot of crazy things. A lot of things are absolutely unimportant to the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God. How about let's invest our time and energy to encourage one another to do things that literally change the world, to help those who are far from God find life in Christ. we got to know who we are. We've got to encourage one another. The third thing is we need to pray intently that we, the church, would live fully in God's will. I, I, I want you to look at verse 12. Chapter four, verse twelve. It says, uh, "Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God." Can can I tell you a couple of things about this um, maturity? And that's really what Paul is talking about here. He's saying he's saying Epaphras is praying for the church, and he's praying that the church would be mature, perfect, complete, fully assured. Maturity is more doing than knowing. In fact, I would contend that some of us have mistaken maturity as knowing regardless of doing. And we've decided that what makes a person mature is how much uh, uh, theology we can spout or how much Scripture we can Quote, we we think that knowing trumps doing. Can I tell you right now that from a biblical perspective and from Paul's perspective here, the very language of verse 12 tells us that Paul was not concerned with how much you knew. He's concerned with how much you do of God's will. That's maturity. I've seen six-year-olds who are followers of Jesus more mature than 60-year-olds who are followers of Jesus. The 60-year-old had far more knowledge, but the 6-year-old had far more obedience. But we, friends, we need to pray for one another that we would be full, not of merely of knowing what God wants, but of doing what God wants. But there's more to it than that, especially in the context of of, of verse six in chapter four. We're, uh, really five and six, where Paul is saying, "Hey, listen." Uh, verse three, four, five, and six, he says, "Pray for me that there be an open door of opportunity for me to share the mystery of Christ." And then, and then, verse five, he says, "I, I, I want you to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming or buying back the time." Uh, and 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 may your words be filled with grace. And salty, uh, so that you might know how to answer each one as you have opportunity. What's he talking about? He's talking about you and me as followers of Christ, us as the team sharing the good news of Jesus with others who are far from God. So uh, I want you to understand that the will of God for our church is that we share the gospel. And again, can I? humbly suggest, not suggest, but say with absolute certainty of the will of God that if we, the church, we, First Norfolk, we do all grand things so that we have a reputation around the world as a big church doing big things, and we fail to help those who are far from God find life in Christ with our greatest urgency— then we are not mature as as followers of Christ. We are not mature as a team, and we need to pray. Oh God, pray. I pray that Kevin and Cheryl Beardsley will be full and complete in the will of God, and that they would help those who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. Oh, we need to pray. I pray Bob and Judy Williams be full and complete in the will of God and they would help those who are far from God find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Pray for Michael Little, Steve Stalling, Stan, Lance, Caitlin. We need to pray for each other that we would be committed to the very thing that Jesus died on a cross for. That's us. We're the team that changes the world. As we share the gospel, we need to pray for each other. Can I tell you what would happen if the couple of hundred people in this room and the uh, several uh, thousand who are watching online, if we would commit ourselves to pray every day for our church to fulfill God's will, which is to help those who are far from God find life through faith in Jesus Christ. If we would commit to pray the way uh, Epaphras prayed, with urgency, laboring, wrestling, expending our energy, tiring ourselves out, praying for those who are far from God to find light through Christ and that we would be God's instrument, His voice, His light on the hill. Friends, things will change. Things will change in this church. Things will change in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. Things will change in the world. We need to pray that we live fully in God's will. We need to pray that we encourage one another. By the way, you can do this. You might say, "Well, preacher, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm retired, and and not only am I retired, but I'm 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 uh, I'm isolated in my home. I'm 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 uh, 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 cordoned off. What do you call it now? I'm quarantined. Yeah, that word. I'm, I'm quarantined in my home, uh, and 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 uh, all I do is mow my yard and watch Jeopardy on TV. I, I don't do anything else. You can pray. Right now, you can pray. Friends, listen. If there's anything, I mean, my birthday is last week, right? 53. I know I'm young. (laughs) 53. I came here when I was 35. I'm 53 today, or last Tuesday. And... I don't want to waste another day or another year playing silly games, church politics, expending my energy trying to make sure that this little group's happy and that little group's happy and that little group's happy. I don't want to waste another day or another year doing that kind of silliness. You know what? I I want us to be a team, God's team, the team that He has established Committed to the singular purpose of making disciples of all peoples. How about it? Will you join me in it? Will you give yourself with me to this cause? See, the last point is we've got to fulfill our ministry. And that, that, that's, that's what he said to Archippus. He said, he said be sure and tell Archippus, Archippus, see the ministry that God has given, it, given you and fulfill it. You've got an assignment. Each one of you do. You're a follower of Christ. You're part of this church. You've got an assignment. You might not know what that is, or maybe you know what it is, but you don't know how to get involved And in it. Uh, Some of you have the assignment to teach, and you're not teaching. Why don't you Why don't you start? So you, uh, you 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 want to be part of the welcome team and and, and you're not doing that yet. Well, why don't you? Know? Maybe you want to be part of the media team and you haven't done that. I mean, start. Maybe you want to figure out how to do outreach in our community. Now's the time to start. Uh, maybe God has called you and commissioned you to do specific things and 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 you ha- haven't been doing it. You've been. I, I can tell you one thing. He hasn't given you an assignment to do. There's one thing I know for sure that he's not given you the assignment is to be a spectator. Not one of us. You and I are called to active participation. Isn't it time for us to fulfill our ministry? Isn't it time for you to fulfill your ministry? Will you bow your heads with me, please? You might say, Eric, I really don't know how to get started. I, I want to be part of this team. I want to, I I want to, I want to fulfill my ministry. I want to accomplish what what God's given me to do. But I don't know how to get started. I don't even know what the assignment is. I, I, and maybe some of you are here today, and and it, in your heart of hearts, you sense that God is raising you up to be a, a preacher type like me, or be in ministry the way I am. And, and you feel that sense of urgency, and you, you, you don't know what to do with it. Or maybe you sense that God's calling you to, to teach a life group, or to start a life group. Or maybe to do outreach for your life group, or, or, or maybe He wants you to mentor some young people. Maybe, maybe He wants you to open your home and host a neighbor family once a month. And God's given you assignment. And that assignment has as its goal helping those who are far from God find life in Christ. And you you don't know how to get started. Here's where you get started. Email pastor at firstnorfolk.org and say, Eric, this is This is what I want to do, or I don't know what to do, but I need some help getting started. Can you help? And this week, someone from our team will be in touch with you to help you walk through the process of fulfilling your ministry. None of us want to waste our time. All of us want to fulfill the duty that God has given us. All of us want to be on the team that changes the world. Let's start today. Would you bow your heads with me? Join me in prayer as we begin this time of reflection. And I I just want you to think and reflect. Reality is God wants to use you to show to others who Jesus is. God wants to use you to show others how that they can find life through Christ so as you know who you are let's commit today to reflect who we know ourselves to be so Lord in these moments I pray that you would speak and we would listen that you would comfort and we would be comforted and I pray oh God that that you would help each of us see that We're part of a team that you've created, and it's your team with your agenda. And the ultimate part of that agenda is that we, the church, show a watching world, the goodness and the greatness of our King, Jesus Christ. Now, God, let it begin with me.